This is The Future Of, where experts share their vision of the future and how their work is helping shape it for the better. I'm David Blaney. We live in a world defined by constant change. To keep up, leaders at all levels should be highly adaptable and collaborative. However, it's debatable whether all our world leaders possess these qualities. On the international stage, we see wildly different personalities and leadership styles, from the brashness of Trump to the brutality of Duterte to the poise of Adern. We're yet to reach accord on international crises such as climate change, health and migration, which leads us to ask whether there's a better way. Joining me today are former Western Australian Premier Professor Jeff Gallup and Strategic Affairs Analyst at Curtin University, Professor Alexei Moroviev. Thank you very much for joining me, Jeff and Alexei. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff, the COVID-19 pandemic has put our, what certainly put our world leaders to the test. What lessons have we learned? Well, I, well, I hope there are, there are a number of things that will now be given more serious attention within government. I guess the first is to be prepared. I mean, we live in a world where crises can happen. Uh, we've seen it in relationship to uh, terrorism. Uh, there are prospects that uh, as the climate changes, there will be a severe impact on some of our lifestyles and, and, and environmental conditions. And in this case, we've had the pandemic, and we've got to assume that there could be another one. So I think being prepared, making sure that the systems are in place, the infrastructure is available, what you need to deal with a pandemic is easily gettable uh, within your own jurisdiction, those sorts of things. But I think more specifically, I think we've learned that our publicly operated systems need to be in good shape particularly our public health system, but not only our public health system, our environmental health systems. Uh, and we, we can't afford to ignore the things that we share. And uh, a clean environment is a crucial part of that, and that means an infrastructure uh, of public uh, goods to make sure that uh, that's in place. So I think more emphasis on the public sector and on, on public institutions is an important part of our civilization. And finally, I think one of the lessons that we've clearly learned, not only in respect of the pandemic, but also in respect of the uh, severe fires we had in the eastern states uh, uh, late last year, is the importance of public engagement. This is not just an issue uh, that relates to you know, the literacy of the public, their capacity to absorb arguments and respond in a rational way, uh, but also about our, our access to people. I mean, one of the, the important points is we've got to be able to communicate with them and make sure that they know where they can play a role in terms of their dealing in the case, in this case with the with the virus. So I guess they're the, they're the three things I'd focus on. Uh, let's be prepared and make sure uh, that, that that's it, that that's done. And the jurisdictions that have done that well have come through better than the jurisdictions that have really avoided uh, dealing with the issue. Secondly, making sure our public systems are working well, particularly public health. And thirdly, making sure that we uh, can engage with the community uh, so that they can be part of the solution. Alexi, the US has taken on a fairly insular foreign policy approach in recent times. Do you think the pandemic and the ensuing economic slump might lead to a change? 
Well, we yet to uh, understand fully, fully understand the strategic implications of of the pandemic because we're talking about the ongoing global emergency. Um, what has become quite clear is that the pandemic has seriously put to a test uh, the not just the global liberal model, but certainly uh, the very concept of globalization. Uh, uh, global supply chains have been severely affected by, by the pandemic. National economies have been severely affected by the pandemic. Our dependency on, on, on foreign supplies to some extent has been compromised. And, and, and that certainly raises a, a number of strategic questions. Do we as a nation and does the world come back to the original model, pre-pandemic um, um, situation, or do we accept that uh, what we have experienced with COVID-19 is just the tip of the iceberg and we should be expecting more pandemics in the future, as, as, um, as some forecasters suggest? Um, and in this sense, we need to change national as well as global modus operandi. Do we need to become more sovereign and self-reliant? Uh, reliant? Uh, do we still want to pursue same degree of openness and, and engagement? This is, these are the uh, big strategic questions that um, national and international leaders will have to address and, and something that the nations will obviously have to, um, have to address. In terms of the approach that um, uh, U.S. President Trump has taken in um, in focusing more on nation-state building and 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 taking more of a uh, insular approach, uh, it may be symptomatic of 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 the times. I won't be um, suggesting necessarily it's just Trump style. I think this is something perhaps that um, we may see more and more, particularly after after the recognition that we would be living in a, in a new world. So the pandemic can also be viewed perhaps as one of those potential watershed events uh, that would transform our psyche and would transform the way how we live and, and, and do things. So um, uh, the change uh, of behavior of uh, national elites and international elites may be adjusted accordingly. Failure to do so would create more problems for for the communities, for the nations, as well as for the countries. Jeff, democracy has uh, has worked pretty well for the most part for us, but as we've seen in the U.S., it can be uh, undermined by foreign interference and also the rise of uh, very very strong media influences. Has the democratic system perhaps reached its sell-by date? Do you think there might be a better way for us to pick who's in charge? Well, I acknowledge uh, the couple of points you made there about the uh, the influences that exist within our democratic system today, and, and they're clearly factors. But I, but I think there's a there's a bigger issue here. Just think about all of the things that Alexey just said about the, the changed environment in which we're now working, and think about the big issues that we have to address. I mean, we have to address the issue of climate, uh, getting economic growth, yes, but with a sustainable uh, 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 flavour to it so that we're not undermining our environmental amenity and, and the environment in which we live, and, and making sure that also that we have a fairer society in the distribution of the, of, of the goods and services uh, that we create. These are big challenges, um, and they require in our current world some structural changes. And this is this is where democracy is finding it tough going. Uh, it's a, it's underpinned by the concept of freedom, 
Uh, so interest groups and individuals have the freedom to express themselves, to organise, to fight for their particular corner, uh, and, 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 you know, they do it very well. Unfortunately, of course, it can also lead to a, a logjam or it can lead to a stalemate, uh, which makes it very, very difficult to address the big issues. So I think this is where leadership comes in. I mean, do we have the, uh, the leadership that we're going to need to make sure all of those challenges in the international political order, the international economic system that Alex just mentioned, are we going to have the leadership in place to, to work through those issues and at the same time minimise the, the potentiality there will be for conflict and possibly war? Because in earlier times, when these big structural changes are going on and there's a redistribution of power internationally, it can create uh, a source for conflict and, and possibly uh, warfare. So do we have the leadership to be able to do that? So democracy is still, on the basis of all of the evidence we have available, the best way to, uh, to conduct things, having governments accountable to people, having agencies of accountability, our corruption commissions, auditor generals, having an independent judiciary. These are fundamental uh, features of a civilised society. But within that framework, it's possible for all of the forces that exist to, to, to get into a logjam and you can't deal with the big issues. And the temptation then comes, we'll give all power to one person and they'll sort all these things out. And usually what happens, of course, they don't sort those things out and they create, create new forms of tyranny. So we're really desperate, I think, in, in the world at the moment for some very serious leadership. Think of the leadership we got uh, after the Second World War, uh, the Marshall Plan in Europe. Think about the, 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 the GATT program to deal with international trade, the Keynesian mechanisms to bring order to the international economy. We're going to need some big thinkers and some big leaders along those lines so that democracy can be preserved as the best way in which to deal with the, the differences in our society. If we don't do it, there's every chance that we'll drift into an authoritarian-style system, which on the surface people say will produce results, but it may do, but at the expense of human liberty. Well, it's good to hear that democracy's still got a fighting chance. Alexi, with uh, world technology moving at such a fast pace, are you still surprised by this, uh, this trend of, well, from one particular leader... Uh, of, of policy decision by Twitter? Well, I do uh, sincerely hope that um, this is more of a public relations stunt rather than a form of uh, disseminating strategic decisions. I would still want to assume that, that the superpower, the caliber of the United States, would have established mechanisms on how to, uh, uh, how to reach the, uh, decisions, uh, obviously not unilaterally, but on the basis of uh, informed uh, knowledge and, and disseminate uh, uh, decisions uh, accordingly via appropriate channels. I think that particular um, style, you can call it Twitter style, is more uh, is more of a publicity stunt, is more of a PR exercise, to not to create an illusion of transparency in in the decision making, but rather than um, achieve uh, certain political objectives by demonstrating 
what the leader is trying to do, what the leader is telling to do, and and obviously um, gather not only um, uh, short uh, short term dividends, but also perhaps achieve some uh, practical outcomes by, for example, influencing public opinion and public support in a democratic system when you effectively want to promote and push your particular agenda and, and you inform the public, this is my idea, this is my thoughts, and this is how I tell people how I want to do it, in, in, in certainly in forms that would resonate with certain elements of the community. And by that, you attempt to mobilize this community so they can apply their own pressure on, on, on your political target um, from the bottom, not just from the top. So it's a kind of uh, combined approach, but I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a simple a symptom of the time. What is symptomatic today is the technology, as, as you correctly stated, um, is moving such a, at, at such a fast pace. It makes the world much smaller. The world is not getting bigger. In, uh, if, we, if we think of uh, geography, technology matrix, uh, technological innovation, continuous technological innovation makes the world smaller. And that intensifies the, the processes that are happening across the globe. They're political, they're economic, they're military strategic. And from, from the point of leadership, current and future, it reduces the decision-making time. It, it places leaders under greater stress and under great, uh, greater pressure than ever before to come up with solutions, to come up with answers, to come up with um, counter strategies almost in an instant because uh, of the evolving situation, that the situation that is rapidly changing, um, uh, that is constantly uh, um, uh, fluctuating, and the amount of information. Not necessarily accurate information, but anything that just pops up through a variety of sources, a variety of channels, and a variety of means. So uh, the, the, the constant flow of information, the constant um, uh, in, injection of, of raw, unconfirmed data complicates situational awareness. It makes the decision making um, much harder because, first of all, you have to you have to determine what is accurate, what is authentic, and 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 what is false or so-called fake news. And on the other time, uh, on the other hand, you need to do it um, uh, under severe time constraints. So that really uh, transforms uh, the way how um, leaders operate. Obviously, they have to become technologically aware. They have to become technologically competent, uh, not necessarily move everything onto Twitter or other forms of social media, but they have to be aware of this new parallel reality and, um, in which they exist and in which privacy, uh, in which um, uh, questions of, um, of traditional style of governance may actually be exposed in one form or another, either through deliberate leaks or through just uh, incidental release uh, uh, via, uh, via social media tool by one of your staffers. And, and, and the list goes on. So it doesn't necessarily lead to greater transparency. I think it, it may actually complicate and, and confuse uh, things and processes because it's almost like you have this big brother effect when uh, uh, when you operate under magnified glass and, 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 and you're getting scrutinized in one way or another. So Twitter diplomacy or Twitter decision-making perhaps is an attempt to take control over this 
um, uh, over this parallel universe um, in which leaders uh, uh, find themselves operating, particularly in, in transparent societies, in, in democratic societies, because obviously this is not necessarily the problem for aut- autocratic or dictatorial regimes where you can effectively police and, 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 and control and, and manage uh, all aspects of life, including um, the flow information and 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 uh, t- technologies that would be available to your to your electorate, uh, but certainly the the crucial point that I I've been making is. Uh, the decision making time, the response time, and and the ability to uh, be able to function effectively in this constant information flow in in the world that has actually become much smaller as a result of this globalization and and social media revolution rather than rather than bigger. You no longer have. Uh, days or weeks, leave alone months, to come up with with a decision. This time, uh, particularly in times of crisis, um, you may be limited to hours or even minutes, and that obviously uh, requires a different quality in uh, in uh, the current as well as a, a new line of uh, leaders who may be uh, who will be emerging uh, on the horizon. Uh, Jeff, Jacinda Ardern has provided a, uh, a bit of a masterclass in, in leadership on the world stage. What aspects of her leadership style have contributed to her success? Yes, it's very interesting to observe. I think I'd make the first point. Uh, New Zealand's not a nation to be underestimated in terms of public policy innovation uh, over, over many years in, in a whole range of areas. They're, they're a small country. Uh, to survive, they have to be innovative. And so I, I put that, make that general point that in a way, just Cinder Ardern also reflects an aspect of New Zealand which has always fascinated me. That I, I've always felt that on on a whole range of issues, they've been one step ahead of us uh, in, in terms of dealing with them. Now let's go to her in, in specifically, though. From my point of view, what, why why do I think you know she's been effective? I, I won't try and give you a sort of a public opinion analysis. I'll just sort of say what it is in my mind that I think about when I see her and, and listen to her. The first is she's got wonderful communication skills. She speaks very, very clearly. Uh, she answers all of the questions that are thrown at her very well. And, and you know, she, she, doesn't, uh, she doesn't give the impression that she's the normal, you know, spin politician. Uh, and so she, there's a bit of authority attached to, to, to her when, when she's uh, uh, talking on, on particular issues. I find that uh, very attractive. Let me draw a contrast. Consider the, the, the and there was an article I think in the in the conversation uh, journal on this very question. Um, when Boris Johnson spoke about how Britain was going to deal with these issues, he recorded it and just put it out. She did a press conference, spoke very very clearly, uh, outlined that where New Zealand was going to go, how they would judge each step along the way, and answered questions from the media. Uh, and immediately you've got a contrast. You know, someone who's just sort of putting it out there, not really interested in getting the questions uh, and, and a very limited form of analysis. Jacinda Ardern, very clear, showed where she wants to take the community, was willing to answer questions. So that's number one, a very good communicator. And, and, and as we know, even though we just had a discussion around the, the other ways in which people communicate with each other through uh, all of the new media and the Twitter and the Facebook and all of this sort of thing, in the end, I mean, when you're in the, the process of political leadership and you're a prime minister, 
you know, you've got to deal with the public uh, very face-to-face through the media that's available, and she does that quite brilliantly. For a long time now, uh, there's been this debate going on in our community about whether or not we're measuring our progress in an effective way. Inevitably, we come back always to the gross domestic product. Uh, You know, what's happening to GDP? Are we growing? Are we declining? Are we in a recession? Are we, you know, in a super growth phase? These are the sorts of issues we address. But when you seriously look at what matters to people, there's a whole lot of other things that are in there as well. I mean, there's the quality of the communities they live in, uh, the cleanliness of the air, the general environmental amenity, their access uh, uh, to public uh, recreation spaces. There's the health system, the education system, and whether or not it's giving everyone a chance in life, whether or not it's treating everyone equally in terms of their access to health services and whatever. And you could keep going with the list. And and, and we say that we, we, we think these things are as important as, as economic growth, which is, of course is important. But then we do nothing about it. Whereas in New Zealand, she's quite willing to come out there with her finance minister and say, look, we're going to judge our performance by the, the progress indicators rather than just by the GDP and, 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 and to communicate with the people around a set of targets that they have. So it's that new thinking that, that she's saying. We could add to the, to the list of you know, good communications and, 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 and creative thinking. We could add to the list, I guess, also you know, her response to the terror incident that occurred there. Uh, you know, the empathy she showed for the minority population, which in that case, the Muslim population that was under attack, uh, you know, the empathy she showed. So I agree with you. I think she's, she's certainly someone who stands out on the world stage at the moment. From my point of view, I love the fact that she takes up new ideas like the Growth Progress Indicator. I'm, I'm glad that, that she shows that empathy towards minority groups to reassure them that they're welcome within, welcomed in their community. But finally, also, I just think it's great that um, uh, she, she, she's willing to be innovative. Alexi, what do you make of Jacinda Ardern's leadership? Well, I, I completely agree with uh, with Jeff's assessment. Uh, um, uh, for uh, for an island nation, uh, um, uh, being a leader of the island nation is a challenge. Being a leader of the island nation uh, that finds itself in the middle of global pandemic uh, is a challenge on the double. And I think the way how she um, uh, navigated that that challenge effectively, decisively. With a great degree of compassion, but also with a, with a, a great degree of firmness, uh, all these qualities that um, that an effective leader uh, should should display, um, and and the outcome that she uh, she managed to achieve uh, speaks um, uh, absolutely strongly in favor of uh, of her. Uh, leadership style of the way how she um, uh, she performs as a as a as a head of, uh, head of state. Uh, the first challenge, as Jeff alluded to, uh, obviously came at the time of that horrible um, uh, terrorist attack that uh, New Zealand have uh, have have suffered. And and um, and in times like this, true leaders emerge uh, when they uh, when they come to the party. And in not in a popular style, but in a in a personal, compassionate style. When when the nation understands that the leader, uh, the head of state, 
that on one hand obviously needs to needs to demonstrate a degree of um, self removal from um, um, uh, from uh, personal likes and, and, and dislikes, but not in a dehumanizing way, but more in, in, a, in a way that should not cloud uh, this leader's judgment and, 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 and the decision-making. And, and, and Jacinda rose beautifully at, at that particular time, um, uh, demonstrating uh, her, personal, uh, uh, her personal involvement, uh, demonstrating her human side, and at the same time showcasing her fairness in, in terms of reaching out to the community that's been affected by that tragedy, but her decisiveness in terms of implementing um, uh, new, uh, new gun laws and, and, and so on and so forth. So I think that was a massive test for her uh, and, 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 and a test that really helped her to firm up her uh, experience, uh, gave her much needed um, capacity to, to, to respond to, to crisis. So when, when pandemic hit New Zealand, uh, I think she, she found herself in a, in a, in the prime of her political form and, and, and also knowing what does it take to take the nation through something that affects all and everyone, and uh, and she demonstrated it so so well, but in on on a scale that was obviously much greater than uh, than the terrorist attack that uh, that shook New Zealand. Could I just add something? Yes, of course. Following on what Alex has just said, go back to the question on democracy, uh, and and you know the, the point I made that the, the threat to democracy is you know these these internal issues that are log jamming, and uh, it, we're not getting the solutions that we need to the big to the big issues, and, and ultimately, you know, you have to find those in any system. You can't just let things drift along. You, you have to deal with the big issues as hard as they are. I think what Jacinda Ardern has also shown is, look, she, she can take us up the ladder a bit and say, look, these are the big issues we have to address uh, in terms of New Zealand. There's the health and education system, the environment, and let, let's try and have a package of measures that is consistent across the, the public policy spectrum and, and take New Zealand forward. That will inevitably mean some interests are going to have to compromise from the positions that they're in. So creative leadership can lift us up out of this logjam and allow democracy uh, uh, to work as we know it can. So democracy is still the best way to do things, but it does need that leadership element to give it a little bit of context and a little bit of direction uh, uh, rather than just being, you know, a response to what the popular opinion of the time is. So I think she gives us hope that, you know, democracy can, can actually work well. Well, I guess there's a lot that we can learn from our friends across the ditch. Um, Alexi, what do you think would be the ideal future global leadership model? Well, we need to understand we're living um, in turbulent times, in times of... Uh, global uncertainty and and um, rapid change and 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 massive unrest and obviously that requires um, particular uh, uh, qualities from current and future leaders. Uh, to start with, an effective leader in in times like these cannot afford uh, to subscribe to policies of appeasement. If the leader is trying to be populist, 
if the leader is trying to appease the community or elements of the community and would only be concerned about approval ratings, um, um, particularly over short term. As, as the majority of Western leaders um, are sort of bound to, you know, operating between the election circles, it would affect um, not only the leadership style, but the quality of leadership. And that leads to uh, um, one of the first qualities that uh, an effective leader um, in, in, in the current situation should, should display and something that Jeff referred to um, uh, early in the conversation. Uh, an effective leader today should have the courage, should have the courage uh, to be decisive, should have the courage to talk to people, to engage the people, should have the courage at times to make uh, decisions that may seem to be unpopular, um, but uh, on the other hand may, may prove to be absolutely vital and, and necessary, particularly in times of emergencies. And this is something that I think... Um, the pandemic has demonstrated the majority of leaders that sailed through um, uh, this this first wave of crisis had to make uh, hard decisions, had to have the courage to make hard decisions, and this is this is really important. Uh, an effective leader um, um, of, of of the future uh, uh, has to be adaptive. Uh, the environment changes and changes rapidly, and uh, you cannot simply subscribe and follow one particular model uh, that you may feel comfortable about. Uh, you have to have to adopt situational leadership. Uh, you have to uh, change uh, modus operandi. You have to uh, change and be flexible about decisions uh in accordance with with the environment in in which you live um uh, an effective leader should also uh, uh should also be a, a visionary uh there is nothing worse than being a reactive leader uh, when you respond to something that's already occurred, when you engage in consequence management uh you need to be able to predict and and you need to be able to prevent or, or take advantage of something that may be coming your way or towards um, towards your nation. Uh, so you need to have a, a, you need to be a visionary, and that requires skills. That requires uh, greater knowledge and professional competence. A leader that entirely is entirely dependent on an army of advisors uh, becomes a victim of of this. Um, of of this network, you need to have your own skills and and the ability to uh, to make the decisions. Um, uh, sometimes, perhaps against the advice that may be offered to you, and that requires um, a strong degree of professional competence as well as confidence. Uh, leadership is about confidence. Leadership is about displaying uh, that that firmness and and confidence because. People trust you with uh, with power. You've been elected by the people. You represent people's power. And people expect you to perform, be effective uh, when required, be decisive, be brave and be courageous, but also be compassionate, as we discussed in the case of Jacinta Arden. Um, uh, and 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 that perhaps this is something that um, uh, not every modern leader 
particularly in the Western world, displays. Uh, you need to have also a degree of charisma, not charisma in the sense you 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 have to become an entertainer because uh, you cannot appease to your electorate by by other means. But you um, uh, you should have uh something that people will will see that would allow them to be drawn to you um uh, so these are the qualities that i believe an effective uh, leader of this uncertain um uh, of this uncertain time should be displaying if a democratic leader would fail to display any of these qualities either democracy will uh, will suffer or the alternative to uh, to uh, the alternative is going to be uh, an autocratic or authoritarian leadership, which may prove to be uh, conditionally effective and 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 conditionally um, uh, more more suitable simply because you would use coercive. Um, uh, means uh, to compensate for more effective uh, ways to uh, to govern and achieve uh, tasks uh, that uh, people uh, uh, invested um, you in the first instance. Well, fingers crossed, we can we can see more of those qualities from our, our future leaders. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, thank you very much, and uh, and all the best with your work. Thank you very much, and. Uh, well, I guess that brings us to the end of our discussion. Thank you both very much for joining us for the podcast and providing your expert analysis and insight into the future of leadership. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Future Of, a podcast powered by Curtin University. If you have any questions about today's show, please feel free to get in touch by following the links in the show notes. Bye for now.